0: Welcome to Salvation Nation podcast for modern Christian dialogue and discussion. I'm your host, Mike Free. This is the final episode in the series Christianity and Politics. And uh, I have with me Pastor Howard Daniel, who is the lead pastor at a Christian church in Meriden, Connecticut. Uh, welcome to the podcast, sir. I appreciate you joining on.
1: Michael, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. And uh a- I'm just uh, excited about being a part of uh, what you're doing here.
0: I appreciate it, and we we just had that big snowstorm. How did you how how did you and the family uh, fare out with all of that? I think it was like a foot and a half we got.
1: Yeah, my wife and I we, we are together, so we had to go out and tag team uh, cleaning our driveway out. Uh, this is after we both have uh, just recently recovered and are still in recovery mode from uh, experiencing having uh, COVID. Uh, so uh, both of us had COVID. Mine was a little bit more severe symptoms, uh, but uh, praise God, we I, I came through it and I'm I'm back on my feet. But we were fine. Uh, but it was uh, exhausting shoveling the. Uh, thing God for snowblowers.
0: All I can tell you. <laughs> wow, I I did not know that you had COVID before we started recording. Um, what was that? You said the the symptoms were a lot more severe for you. What was that like?
1: Oh, it was. Uh, I will tell you, it was the worst experience of any sickness I ever experienced in my entire life, and uh, I'm I'm 60 years old, and I'm not ashamed to sit. I'm just glad I got to 60. Uh, but I uh, had it started out with just not feeling good. I don't know how else to explain that. You just don't feel yourself, and then it starts going downhill. Next thing you know, I'm I'm having fever that 103. 104, you can't get it down, or it will drop down to 96, and next thing you you pop right back up to 104. And then uh, I started experiencing severe uh, migraine headaches. Uh, And then there was the um, chills. You start having, I I went through the chills. Uh, Then from there, it went to these uh, awful aches, pains, if you will, in my body and what was the ironic thing I don't know what other people experienced but it seemed like everywhere I had had a previous surgery or injury in my body that I would have these bursts of pains in every single area even where I fractured both my wrist playing football in college and um one night my my wrists were hurting so bad I couldn't even I couldn't do anything just experienced the pain and then um it was just everything to the point where I, then I experienced a short enough breath. And I ended up uh, in the Hartford Hospital for five days uh, in the hospital on oxygen. I never got to the ventilator, but I definitely was on oxygen. And they, uh, I was on steroids and other medication. Some of the medication, I think, even what they had early given to the president, uh, taking shots for that. And um, so yeah, I was in the hospital five days, laid up in there. And couldn't see my wife, couldn't see anybody. So I experienced that, that isolation. And then got home, uh, <laughs> just constantly weak. Lost my taste, sense of smell, sense of smell, sense of taste. Just recently, the last day or so, I've been able to start tasting my food. But the thing is, you only taste it for the first half of the meal. Then your taste buds just go numb. You don't taste anything after that. So wow. I've, I've been dealing with that. So it, it's, been, it's been, an experience. Uh, matter of fact, today is the first time I am back in our church in a month. Wow. Uh, we do we do virtual services, but we do them from the church. Some actually, my wife ministered today, and I just sat there because I just the energy level just isn't there. You just don't have the energy.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. wow.
1: That's been uh, my past month. <laughs>
0: Well, thank God um, everyone has recovered um, yes, and, uh, yes, with some, <laughs> some residue of it. Um, but, you know, just just pray to God that, uh, you know, he continues to, to get you healed and get you better so that you can get 100 um, percent after. Yes, you, yes. Um, <laughs> That's really difficult. Um, so how what is your uh, very quick? I have to say this to Christians because, you know, this story could go on for <laughs> a long time <laughs> what is your Quick, you know, how you got saved and how you came to, you know, uh, you know, when you were called to to be a pastor and and all of that, mm. like really quick just to give the audience a little bit of information about, you know, who you are and, and how you got into the faith. Sure. Well, I, I was raised
1: in church all my life. I mean, my mother is an evangelist, so I was actually raised Pentecostal. My dad is Baptist, uh, so my mother was Pentecostal. My dad was Baptist, and I remember as a kid, he always played uh, recordings of Malcolm X. So I used to sit and listen to Malcolm X sermons all the time. So I used to tell people, I'm, I'm, I am I am Pentecostal. Muslim, uh, that's, that's my <laughs> religion. <laughs> but yeah, but I didn't really, you know, I was raised in church, but and uh, you know, I was a PK, a preacher's kid, so to speak. But I really did. I went to college, you know, uh, I didn't get saved at a, at a young age. That's not my story. I, I was the uh, typical what they uh, kind of classify as a preacher kid. I was doing things I had no business doing. But I ended up going to college. I uh, played football and a four-year degree at Miami University. Then I went back to graduate school, and then I didn't get saved until I was 31 years old. And that's because, you know, uh, there's a song that Don't Let Your Hurt Bring You to Church. Well, my hurt brought me to church. I was actually facing uh, prison time uh, for some crimes, uh, actually 24 years. And um, I gave my life to the Lord uh, because I I figured I was going to die in prison. And that was my thinking. And I said, and I didn't want to die and go to hell. So I figured I need to get saved now because when I get in there, someone's going to put their hands on me. I'm going to have to defend myself and i probably end up getting killed. So, but I want to die. I want to go to heaven, you know? Yeah. And so that's what, I, that's why I gave my life to the Lord. But uh, the Lord worked it out where they ended up dropping all the charges. And, um, I never did any time in jail. I, they dropped all the charges, all the felonies. I was charged with a, a misdemeanor. And so I was able to expunge my record. So I, I don't have a record anymore. And uh, so the Lord really blessed me to uh, do that. And that was in 1992, January 25th, 1992 is when I gave my life to the Lord. And I've been serving God ever since. When I moved to Connecticut in 95. So three years later, we moved to Connecticut, my wife and my little son. Uh, and I uh, was here in prayer, and the Lord told me I was going to be a pastor. And that was then, I would say, August, September of 1995, uh, when we got here to Connecticut in June, and uh, I became a pastor on um, June, January the 2nd, uh, 2011. So this January will be my one decade of
0: pastoring a church. Wow. Okay. Um, so that, that helps give gives us uh, some background. Um Interesting. And obviously the, the, the series for this is, is, um, Christianity and politics, Mm politics. And, um, wanted to get your, your personal thoughts on the current political landscape right now, because, you know, and it's presidential election aside, I guess you can say, but, um, the reason why I wanted to have discussions about this topic is because, and it may have always been this way. All right, I'm only 35 years old, so um, <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> know. Politics has always been a divisive thing within the church, and and maybe it has been right. But um, I think with social media and the internet, it it just things always appear to be bigger than maybe what they are, um, or at least exposed faster because information travels so quickly through these technologies. Right. But it appears as though, you know, there is some division in the church about how we should be looking at politics. And politics in the United States is changing a lot on both sides of the aisle, whether you're talking red or blue, it's changing right. a lot like, with these different issues. And um, from what I can tell, is you can find, um, from a Christian standpoint, you can find ideas on both sides that seem to somewhat align with what sure you know, christian would believe is a good thing right um mm-hmm. but i'm just curious to just the landscape right now like what are your personal thoughts of what's going on do you agree that it's it's somewhat been divisive within the church or um has it been positive like what are your thoughts on it
1: well i i really think i have mixed emotions you know about the whole political uh structure or politics or political atmosphere that we are currently um living in and and the reason i mix emotions because first of all i'm neither i am an independent i I, i've never been a democrat never been uh partial to one party or the other for many reasons but one of the key reasons like you said you can find christian values in both parties if you look really or at least they talk it so you know i'm so i just want to go out and say for the record i'm neither democrat or republican and my thinking and my belief and my platform i'm very much independent of that uh but mostly I'm, i am de- in the political landscape but mostly i'm de- really disappointed what i observed and the party their own internal uh bickering between one another it's kind of like we, forget, we feel like we're two different countries uh their own uh, agendas and, and neither one of them you know Seem to care. They do a lot of good talking. So I'm disappointed, and especially when I observe what the uh, Republicans have done with the attacking the democracy that have. I think that's disappointing. Uh, I think the Democrats have done a lot of promises that they uh, carried out that I think was wrong, and I think that's disappointing. I think they supported things that have been immoral, uh, not. Cr- biblical you know that's immoral according to scripture mm-hmm. so i so i can see the balance on both sides um but i really am pleased to see the legal system is it works with this with this whole supreme court it was nice to see how it worked for us to be exposed to it and see that it it really worked in the favor of, of what is right so that was pleasing to see um but uh, i i think our Political landscape has a lot to be desired from both sides of the spectrum. And the sad part then comes where does it, what role does the the church, people's faith play in it? Because there's got to be a balance. You expect uh, the politics of the party to be divisive because alone they are the divisive. So in those cases, you need to have something. What's the glue? That maintains our country integrity. What's the glue that is supposed to maintain the morality of our country? And that's when you look back on your faith, right? That's some, something. There's got to be something that, when two extremes get start straying so far apart, well, there's got. What is the tool that pulls? Because we're all Americans. We're all the same country. If America was attacked, it wouldn't matter if you were. Republican, independent, or if you were um, Democrat, that would not matter because we would come together to defend, hopefully we would come together to defend our country. So even though we can be separated, the, the mechanism that should be the glue that holds our integrity of unity together, it should be our faith. Uh, but the problem is, is I don't think, because so then it says, what is the, where does church now play? What is the role that the church should play in the politics? I believe personally, the men and women of faith, the leaders of faith should be pulling, should be the mechanism or the tools that are that stand up at this time and bring and bring us back together. Under the faith that we say our country is built on, which is Christianity. Yes, I understand there's multiple faiths in our country, but the premier country, if you say what is the the primary faith of our country, would be Christianity. So this is where I believe we as Christians should be the ones that pull this divisiveness back together. Unfortunately, that divisiveness has entered into the church. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for the church bring unity when the church is divided itself and that's where i get really disappointed so uh, and then so you say okay where how has this impacted the church unfortunately it, it has driven the church drug the church into the divisiveness formed between parties where the church should not be a part of that and see the church should be uh, the glue, but now we have become impacted by it. And what this has done, the, what uh, politics has done, it has exposed the church. Mm. I think now you look around and you see the church and the church now has been exposed. Well, you say, Pastor Danny, what has been exposed? Well, I think the hypocrisy in the church has been exposed because if you're going to see say, I believe in pro-life and right to life, but where is the outcry when innocent people are being killed in the streets? Where where is your outcry about that life Uh, when men are being shot in the back? uh, When anybody innocent, I don't care the color of their skin, is being murdered for no reason. Where's the outcry for those lives? So you can't have it both ways. So the church should be, you know, wanting, you know, people to, you know, keep their babies. But what about the people that are living? Where's your outcry there? So if you can outcry for the one side of life, what about that which is already here life? So I think it's exposed the hypocrisy. I think it's exposed the racism in the church. I think what we're going through has exposed the greed in the church when you have mega ministries who no doubt are not suffering financially, because I'm sure they're still getting their—I mean, I pastor a small church, and we're still maintaining able to pay our—how is it that these mega churches need 3.4 point—all these millions of dollars from the government? To maintain their church, and you have a mega church of 30,000, 40,000 people, why would you need the government to give you $30 million? <laughs> that doesn't make So I think this has exposed the greed of churches. I saw an article where Joel Osteen got $4.4 million. I mean, you have a church of 50,000 people. The church, you know, you, so you're telling me these people are not giving no more? Sure, they are. You have doctors, you have professionals that are giving to the church. You have all these books and all this. So I think the greed is being exposed. And I think the uh, the falsehoods, you have these prophets from these churches going out saying, many of them prophesied that Trump was going to be voted as the president. And it didn't happen. So now they're endorsing this whole thing about, you know, they know it's wrong to go out and attack people, threaten people. They know it's wrong to try to... Change the votes of people or throw people's vote. They know it's wrong, but because they prophesied, now they got to make sure that they are not looked at as false prophets. So they're going to endorse doing anything that you can to change the election because they went out in the open and verbalized that uh, God told me that this individual, that Trump, was going to win. And I, I mean, if he told you, if God said it, it would happen. It didn't happen, so therefore God didn't tell you that relied on God. So now you're trying to make it happen. And my question is, in the Bible, where did God ever need anybody to force somebody to do something to make his prophecy come true? Yeah. It just doesn't happen. So I think the politics and the the landscape today has really exposed the church, uh, exposed people in the church uh, the hypocrisy in some and to me that is more disappointing than anything else. That's more disappointing than uh the Democrats doing this or the Republicans doing that. Most of them what's most disappointing me is when the church is endorsing things that they know or should know is not scripturally, is not Christian like. And that that troubles me more than anything else
0: yeah so um that makes a lot of sense, and I appreciate that breakdown because that that's really helpful. You talked about a lot of things that i I would agree with from from where I'm sitting, um you know, from what I've been exposed to or read or looked into, and what i'm what I'm hearing from other people, like there's a, a very strong division topic by topic. and then you have um you know, these opportunists, right? whether we're talking about. Mm-hmm church or we're talking about in the political world that are, are right. take advantage of the division to get paid or to get things that oh. they want or to get power um and it, that's a huge problem because as the church we have to have the discernment to be like hey this this isn't right you know how do we how do we stand up um, I there are some issues too and and one of those issues you kind of talked about in regards of like hypocrisy right? because Mm -hmm. how i may i think you know most people in a church would agree that a pro-life position um is the the moral position to probably to have although i i've had conversations with people that or even pastors that are um christians that you know have somewhat of a pro-choice kind of mentality on certain things but I think the general thought or feeling is, you know, pro-life is probably a mainstream Christian thought. Right. Um, But then you Mm -hmm. hypocrisy around, well, what about other, other lives that, you know, people who are already, you know, born or adults or children or whatever, that may be subject to some unwrongful, um, some wrongful death situations, right. That they Mm -hmm. shouldn't. So how do we deal with those? And it's, kind of that that tug and pull back and forth between those two issues depending on what game the parties are playing at that particular moment right exactly yeah, um, yeah so how how as us little christians <laughs> and i say little not in the context of like obviously we serve a big god right so right right um i i'm just saying that it, a lot of us don't have any power we don't have any 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 positions of authority uh, maybe somebody listening does but um how can we approach this situation with uh, I guess a clear conscience and, you know, standing firm with what the word says and what is true, um, and, and participate. Um, yeah, I've, I've spoken with some pastors that are, that are basically saying like, listen, you should vote. You should, you know, especially locally, because there's a lot of things that may change, you know, your, your local situation. and yeah. not be yeah. with big scheme of the presidential stuff or whatever those bigger positions are, but how should we approach politics with all of this division and stuff going on?
1: Yeah. And, and like you said, there's so many topics, you know, because I, I tell people all the time, I'm, I, I'm not pro-choice, you know, because of the fact that it implies that I am for abortion mm-hmm. and I'm not for abortion. Uh, so I tell people I'm not pro-choice, but I am for choice and 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 i say that from a very christian perspective and what i mean by being for choice because god made us uh individuals of choice he we are creatures of free will so I, i i am for choice from the perspective that god gives us the freedom of making choices now there are consequences for our choice and if you make the wrong choice there you will face the consequences. So for me to take away someone's choice, then that is for me to usurp authority that even God would not usurp, and that would be God's not going to make you do anything. He gives you the choice of right to wrong, even uh, like M- M- Moses said, I placed before you today, you left uh, death, life, or death, choose life. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we have choices. So as a young Christian, I think you have to approach it as what is the godly answer? What is, you know, we always say, what would Jesus do? And I always say, it's not what would Jesus do and what did Jesus do? So I take it from the angle that, I, I, you know, everyone has a choice. I may not like your choice, but guess what? It's your choice. Because I, I, the hypocrisy of it is this. I've found in prayer, and I've seen and with my own eyes, watched and witnessed, the same people that are against abortions, many of those same people wouldn't let that young lady survive in their ministry because they would look down on her so strong for getting pregnant outside of marriage. Mm. From 2002, uh, from the, year, the past 20 years, there have been a half a million abortions. 500,000 abortions. You're not going to tell me those 500,000 abortions were 100% children w- women of all liberals, all atheists. You're going there's no way in the world you're going to convince me of that. So that means of these half a million babies that were aborted, they probably came from some that were conservative republicans. Liberal Democrat, Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist. Look, I promise you all these people chanting are still having to avoid the shame. They probably would go have the abortion And and I am not for abortions. I am 1 million percent against abortion, but I know also reality. And so sometimes you have to look at things through the lens and say, people have a choice the choice that they had was given to them by their creator. Who am I to take that from them? But they also have to understand that when they make that choice, there is a consequence for that choice. And so the same way a person has a choice to become a Christian to give their life to the Lord, you either do or you don't, I can't make you, I can't legislate you to be saved. If you choose not to be saved, there is a consequence. For that choice so everything has a consequence and i think people have to understand that that's the liberal it's the godly liberal in this in me if you will And i can only speak for me yeah. um the other elements of the hypocrisy is just it's, it's just <laughs> shameful in the house of god and i can talk about it because i witness it i see it and uh the discrimination the racism uh, I think we have to start confronting it up forward. And, and you know, I, I look at some, you have to remember, let, let me put it in from this angle, Michael. Um, when you think about lynching in the day when they were lynching on the courthouse square, and, if you, and you think about them burning people in, at the courthouse square and all the, um, the white folks that stood there and watched it, and blacks that were forced to stand there and watch it. You have to remember that in that audience were good Christian folks that would sit there and watch someone lynched without a a, um, trial, without any cause uh, or the most petty things. You have to remember there were preachers Southern Baptist churches watching this that could go home and eat dinner and, and pray and bless the food come the next day past that same body that they would need still hanging up there at the courthouse and walk into their church and preach the love of God <coughs> you have to say mm, these are this was the church people that would watch this and so you we have a lot to overcome in our country. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of hypocrisy to, to overcome. And then, like you said, if you, how does it that you preach life and you can watch such a hideous crime take place and uh, participate in that or remain silent and condone through silence? And that's been a big part of uh, our country's history. It's embedded in our history. And so it doesn't surprise me when I hear a pastor of a, and this is what I have experienced, tell the blacks in their church when, during the George Floyd episode and the, the, the rallies, tell their parishioners and call them out, signal, all of our black members, don't worry about that don't be out to rallying. That's none of our business. That's none of our concern. This is what happened at a church here in Connecticut that told their members that were uh, of color that don't worry about that stuff and, and stay out of that stuff and stay silent on that stuff. So these are the type of things that you uh, we are confronted with.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that you mentioned, too, um, earlier in the the first part of that was um, somewhat around legislation and whether we're pushing for specific laws, right? And Mm -hmm. then how, from a Christian standpoint, we should be looking at that in regards to, well, how does God govern as far as, you know, what he allows us to be able to do? Um, Right. Where, in your perspective, should the the line be drawn? Because I think some people who may have an opposing view to that would want to know like, okay, so where do we say enough is enough? Or where does where the line drawn and what should be legal versus what shouldn't? Um, I think that's kind of where maybe some people would uh, be contentious to that idea. Um, mm-hmm. If if we're trying to set the standard from a church standpoint and say, "Hey guys, you, this is wrong," or "Hey guys, this is right. This is the right way to go," right. and trying to influence, you know, how society or our, uh, you know, Amer- other American citizens, our fellow American citizens, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. these different things they should be i assume look to the church maybe to give some perspective on the morality of some of these things now obviously if they don't care but what are your thoughts on on that in regards to like you know where should we draw a line in the sand on some of these things um even though we should you know have the freedom to maybe um based on what god will allow us to do right where where do we right
1: yeah I, I think it's, and this is a, a very excellent question because it, it really is, from my perspective, if we're going to be people of God and we say, you know, Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my king and and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm a I, I follower of the Lord, then I have to follow the Lord through the Lord. And so the Bible says in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So God's word becomes our moral uh, uh, compass. And so we have to use that moral compass for the lines that are drawn. Now, so we have to vote according to, you know, the moral compass. So, and, and then you say, okay, what about, you know, the struggle becomes when both parties of like split and <laughs> you get okay what they're saying is morally correct and then what they're saying is morally correct so how do you vote on that and this is where you have to really be prayerful and say okay we still have to be involved because the church is really supposed to be the moral compass of a nation and the problem is that the the, the politics have given the church has been corrupted by the politics opposed to being the conscience of the politics and so because of that it puts the church in when you allow yourself to be bought off to be corrupted or become um swayed it because of whatever reason you might be swayed and it has nothing to do with righteousness all to do with your personal gain then you you put the church puts itself into a place of where we cannot to morality because we are not practicing morality of our own. So I can, now I begin to pick and choose what is moral and what is not or what I will determine what's morally correct and what's morally acceptable. So it's morally unacceptable to commit abortion, but it's okay to grab women by the crotch. Mm -hmm. It's morally unacceptable for a man to marry a man, but it's okay for you to curse somebody out and because you know how do you get there? That's the only way you can accept one and condone the other is because you become morally and you become morally corrupt yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you would take the moral ground on all aspects and hold everyone accountable to the morality of of our Lord and our Savior. That's what and then that's what the church is supposed to do. And so our voting should hold politicians morally and righteously accountable. And when they're not, we should challenge them. No matter what the moral accountability is, we should hold them accountable for that. And it should be in a way where, uh, you know, we should use morality through loving speech, loving hands, and not hate speech, and not hateful hands. Mm -hmm. The problem is we want to be morally correct and immorally wrong the way we apply this morality. One, let me just say this. I do believe Christians should be involved in politics. And I say that because we, we need to hold our country, our community, our local government morally accountable to doing what is righteous. And that goes from, no matter the speed laws should be fair and righteous. Drug laws should be fair and righteous. It should be fair and righteous across the board. It, it, whatever the law is, it should be fair and righteous. And then we should hold and then we should vote, petition, all the laws, put laws on the books that are morally right. Now people are gonna say, well you're trying to control my life. No. I just wanna make sure That the scripture says, and then once again, you have to believe in the scripture. The scripture says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So if we start forgetting God, we're going to be in trouble a lot quicker. And so someone's got to hold a moral compass to the legislation. And then we look and say, okay, uh, the reason why a lot of things have happened in our country, I mean, why was prayer taken out of schools. And I know you're too young to remember, but I I, I can remember. I remember having to pray in school. You know, I know you, I don't think, I don't know what school, unless you went to a Christian school. I'm talking about praying in the public school, saying the Pledge of Allegiance in the public school. I remember that coming up as a child. And it was taken out because one lady complained and nobody stood up. The church was silent. Surely they're not going to take prayer out of school. And she talked enough, Gabbed enough until they took prayer out of school. One person, one person complained yeah. and got it in the books, complained loud, complained often, and the church didn't say a word. No one counter complained. So a lot yeah. of the things that we have now because the culture, church has remained silent. Um, yeah, I look at some of the things that's going on in our society now with the politics. church is being silent on a lot of things that they should be speaking out against. But I mean, they're, they're, we're the church's voice on this attack against democracy. You have not heard one preacher, at least I haven't, speak out against it. I haven't heard one evangelical church pastor, these big pastor that's getting these millions of dollars from the government, have not said one thing about the attack on our democracy. So this is where, you know, you you so as a young Christian voting, the answer is yes, you should 100% be engaged and vote. Uh, Well, then, well, God never gotten involved in the uh, politics. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. Uh, I can give you many examples of God's people challenging the political atmosphere. Right. Uh, you can go down the list of them. Moses challenged the political atmosphere when he went before Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king. He was the president. Samuel went before Saul. Saul was the king. He was the president. Samuel challenged him. When David slept with Bathsheba, Nathan went to David. The, the church, Nathan representing the, the priest, the prophet, prophet brother, went before David and challenged David on his moral behavior. Samuel challenged Saul, the president, the king, on his disobedience, his uh, misbehavior. John the Baptist challenged Herod for sleeping with his brother's wife on his moral behavior. John the Baptist challenged the, the king, Herod. Jesus challenged the Pharisees, the Sadducees, because of their hypocrisy. It goes on and on. Yes, the church has challenged and attempted to hold the political leadership accountable for their behavior. So to say that the church, I know people love to say church and state separated. Well, that's what people say. (laughs) And that's what we might, it sounds good. And I know that's what we put into our records, but the problem with that is to set church and state separate. If you really hear what that's saying, that's nation and God separated. Then I go back to my previous scripture that says, the nation has forgotten its God. It it shall perish. I mean, it just says, you know, the wicked shall uh, be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So the Christians cannot abandon their responsibility to its nation. That is, we should above all know that would be detrimental to our country to separate ourselves from our God or to decline or deny God's involvement in the oversight of our nation. You know, we yeah. could pray for our president. And I believe we should pray for our president. I don't care who the president is, but pray for our president, but then say the church should have nothing to do with politics. That's that's kind of like, huh?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so if I can have anything to do with the politics, why are you ask me to pray for the politics? Yeah. Church and state separate. That You, you can't do that. It, it sounds good. It, it sounds nice. But, you know, it just, me as a Christian, it doesn't seem right. So for a Christian to say, I don't want to vote, man, because God is going to work. No, God holds, that's why he has us here. We're supposed to be the light of the world that sits on here that cannot be hidden. So that means we're supposed to have a voice in the world. And our voice, in this case, is our vote. So for Krishna to say, well, God, God's in control, God's... In... No, then that's the take away the scripture that says, God said, whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. God has given us an assignment, and he's given us the authority, but we say, well, we'll give it right back to him, and so God's going to take care of it. No, he told you to take care of it. We are ambassadors of Christ. So the ambassadors are supposed to do what? Handle the business. Yeah. And so, it, but if the ambassadors are corrupt, I don't, I don't know what you do with it.
0: Yeah, you know, um, it's very interesting because you, you touched on a, a lot of points there, and there's one piece that I want to segue into. Um, mm-hmm. But what, I want to say this first, right? I, I think it, to your point earlier about how this this whole COVID thing has exposed certain things in the church. I I really think it's exposed a lot um, within our political system um, mm-hmm. quite a bit, you know, on both sides of the aisle. And that I think people can start to see the true intent of what some of these political figures' uh, agendas are. Um, a little bit more, um, or they can see kind of what their philosophy of leadership is, or even, you know, kind of their idea of governance, um, the state by state with, you know, the different ideas around how to deal with uh, restrictions versus lockdowns versus, you know, et cetera, um, or Mm -hmm. how to get the right supplies in and how to deal with, you know, managing the hospitals in your state, blah, blah, blah. There's been a lot of exposure uh within politics that I think may be a good thing for us to kind of see where some of these key players, you know, what they really think um about the direction of our country and where where things should go. Um I I also see, and this is part of the segue that I mentioned, and you had mentioned um back in the 70s, I was <laughs> I was definitely not around it. <laughs> Uh, I believe it was in the, in the 70s, maybe the early 70s, and I can't remember her name, uh, the person that was pushing for prayer not to be in school. Um, uh, y- 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 there's a lot of Christians that believe that there is a strong agenda. Um, and, and I won't say what particular party it's coming from because it appears mm-hmm. that it's in pieces from both. But there there is an agenda to try to dismantle um christian the christian faith in this country possibly um in different ways you talked about that one way of no no you know no prayer in schools right so it's almost trying to remove it from areas where the the federal government or uh has reign or power over the public space right um and we're even seeing that now with you know Possibly with some of the restriction stuff on churches, and you know, some states, you know, mm-hmm. for churches to not even be open, it's like, wait right. a minute, this is where people may get saved for their, you know, eternal life, right? This is this is much bigger than what we're dealing with <laughs> currently, right? Um, what What would you say about how the church should look at things, issues where it appears that politics is encroaching on? You know, that First Amendment of freedom of religion, because that's a that's a big thing. And it, it feels like, you know, they're really trying to or some some people <laughs> of power are trying to, um, you know, infringe on that right a bit more I- as much as they can, taking an inch and inch and inch and inch away our oh, yeah. ability to to practice our faith. Like, what do you think about that?
1: I think the church has to, and this is another reason why the church needs to vote. We need to be vocal in our politics because I think we have to fight against that tooth and nail. I think the church has to stand up for its rights, just like NRA stands up for its second amendment and everybody else stands up for their amendments. The church cannot be lulled to sleep uh, or whatever you call it when it comes to our right to, number one, preach the gospel and no matter what people think about it, if it's still our right, freedom of voice, uh, we may preach it. You. you may not like it because you don't like that particular part of the Bible. So when the Bible talks about, you know, uh, a man should not lie with a man. Well, it's my, my philosophy is this. Uh, that's biblical. Print, that's biblical. And, and, and that is not judgmental. That's what God said is in order. When I talk to different ones, my position is this. I look at the scripture and I look at it in its totality. I don't pick out one verse and, or one particular scripture to, to judge you with. I look at the totality and I say, okay, if you accept this, what else is a link to that? And as, as Christians, we have to look at it from that perspective. So it is critical that we maintain our voice uh, and our amendment our right, because it, it, that's where the Moral compass comes from. When you start managing your morality, then there is no moral compass. So anything is, as long as it's acceptable by the masses, it's acceptable. That is not the way God works. And we know this. And we want to pick and choose what part of the Bible is good to believe and what part of the Bible, you know, well, I don't have to believe that anymore or or that's just being judgmental. It's it's not, there's a reason for everything in that Bible. So it's about educating through love, speaking with the voice of love, and then dealing with the matter at hand. Why? And this is where, you know, I like to come from as a pastor. This is where I think the church is missing it. We're attacking a sin opposed to explaining a position. And I think it's so much more important that we explain the position, opposed to attacking a person. If that if that makes sense to you,
0: yeah, I I like that line a lot. Um, that that's really enlightened Lighten. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? That is a, a good revelation, I guess I should, should say. I mean, it, mm. it's. I think with some of these these issues, right? Because to me, what it sounds like you're saying is, look we're not necessarily at least it's not popular within the christian community to push for laws to be set for some of these things that are clearly in scripture like are we saying that everything that that god has said it should be in law or not i mean what are we saying or are we saying that just some of them so that's kind of the uh the cherry picking i think what you're saying Mm, yeah um, comment comes into play um picking and choosing right because why mm-hmm. are you pushing on this particular issue versus this other particular issue? Um, right. And by by stating a position, right, you're able to say, hey, here's what we think is morally wrong because this is what we follow, right? Mm-hmm. But we're not attacking you for it, but this is you know what we believe now right. and how, why mm-hmm. And why? Now how we go about voting on these particular issues, uh I think it makes it more complicated because my personal opinion is I think that our politicians are playing us <laughs> big time. I can right? I know
1: they're playing us. Right. They're playing they're playing to the loudest voice. Right. Exactly. They're not playing to the morality. They're not playing to the conscience of a nation. They're playing to the loudest voice in that. This is why a minority of people Can change laws because they, the politicians will change or propose laws that only a minority of people want. Yeah. Because they're the one that's weakened. That's why, why do we have those, uh, the names switch on my mind, the ones that are in the government ears all the time? What do they call them that's out there giving them money for this? The lobbyists. The lobbyists. Why do you have a lobbyist? Why do you need a lobbyist? Yeah. Because you're trying to get your way done. And, And it's like, you know. If, if, if the politicians were going by, let me ask you, let me ask you this way, Michael. Uh, what was the law in the Garden of Eden?
0: Don't touch that. Don't eat fruit from that tree.
1: <laughs> Don't eat fruit
0: <laughs> from the forbidden, the, the forbidden
1: tree of law and not good, the knowledge of good and evil. One yeah. law. Then they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? Mm-hmm. What was the law of the land after they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden and before the flood? What was the law? There was none. There was none. Why was there no law? you know why there was no law?
0: Um, I don't know. That's, that's a good question.
1: Because once they ate from the Tree of Knowledge of evil, they knew the difference. Hmm. This is why that dispensation between the garden of Eden dispensation of, uh, of innocence and the dispensation of uh, Noah when they get into the dispensation of, of of human government which is when Noah after the flood that dispensation in between the dispensation of um, innocence and human government or between the, before the fall of man and before the flood that time period there was no laws why was there no law? Because the law was in their hearts and minds. Men knew right from wrong. Their conscience knew right from wrong. Just like you have a child. That child breaks something, they go hide. You say, who broke that thing? I don't know. Why do they, why do they lie? Who taught them to lie? Their conscience of guilt, they knew it was wrong. It's already embedded in them. People today know. In their hearts and minds, because God put it in every one of us from the day they fell from the Garden of Eden, every one of us knew, have a conscience, a mind to know what is morally right and what's morally wrong. But because we want to do what we want to do, and when we see something in the scripture that says that's wrong and it doesn't fit my desire, my, but then I have to challenge say, now you're trying to tell me what I, now you're wrong, it's trying to convict you, it's mean, you're trying. We do all the things, but mentally, morally speaking, we know what's right and what's wrong. But we don't need the law. The law, you really think about it, God put law in place to keep us safe, not to govern our conscience of right and wrong. Why do you have a stop sign out there so the cars coming the other way don't run into you? Why do you say thou should not commit adultery? It wasn't to be a law against you. It was to keep you safe from a jealous husband or a jealous wife killing you. Mm. Why is it said thou should not steal? Because if you steal from the wrong person, they may take your life. So laws were put in place, supposedly put in place, to keep you safe. Not to teach you morally right or wrong. Because absolutely, you know what's morally right or wrong. Mm. Because it's put, it was embedded in us. From it was embedded when they came from the Garden of Eden. When Adam fell, that dispensation of conscience—they they, they did not need no law. Uh, um, Cain killed Abel. He knew he was wrong. There was no law against violence. There was no law about should not murder. So if he wasn't wrong, why would he lie about it? If he knew that it was—if he didn't know it was wrong, there would have been no need for him to lie. But he knew he was wrong because consciously he knew he was wrong in yeah. today's society. We still know what's right and wrong. We still know when it's wrong. We still know when it's right. Uh, and you know, that thing, no, you know, that, you know, that's wrong. Cause you do it at the nighttime, you do it where you can at least be seen. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you start mixing in the fact that these politicians now coming back to that, they know what's right and they know what's wrong. It's that they want power. They want to stay in position. They want, yeah, and so what do they do? They do whatever it takes. So the morality of their their, their morality can get put on a back burner. So when you look at what's going on in, in our politics today, and this is going from the politicians to, from the uh, politician to the pulpit, we support things that are not morally right. And I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about same now. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about abortion. I'm talking about corruption.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we can be in church and support corrupt politicians because we are getting our hands fed. You have to remember, it was not the Roman, the politicians, the political atmosphere that killed Jesus. It was the religious church that mocked him, brought him, and they manipulated the politicians of the day to kill him, to do their dirty work. But it was the church that accused Jesus. It was the church that was offended by his truth. It was the church that was offended by him calling out their hypocrisy. And this, and my friend, the same thing is going to happen to many of our churches, our mega churches. They're going to get called out. Someone's going to start calling out the church, and then the church is going to cha- be, feel the guilt of it, and they're going, what's going to shut the church down? What's going to challenge the church? First Amendment will be the church.
0: Mm.
1: Remember I told you that. <laughs> what know. is going to challenge the the church's right it will not be the politicians that challenge the church's right to speak out it will be the churches that are self-righteous that are going to silence the churches that are speaking out to the truth
0: yeah that's interesting um the same
1: way it happened to jesus
0: yeah a, a lot of great information there and insight i i really appreciate that we're running out of time um i want to leave it with you to, to just give your final thoughts on um if if someone's and you've already given a lot of great information and, and and advice on um how christians should approach politics but um if you could just kind of sum it up in a, a couple of you know basic statements Um, what would be your final thoughts to, you know, if I'm a, uh, whether I'm a new Christian or I'm a more seasoned Christian, you know, how, how should I, how should I approach this political system? Um, Mm -hmm. should I focus on prayer and, and stay in the word and, you know, try to pay attention? Should I pay attention a lot? Should I really be leaned into what's going on? Uh, how, how should I approach this? Um, and I'll leave you with kind of the, the final, uh, thoughts there.
1: So I would always say you always approach everything prayerfully, but I think you can't stop at prayer. I think you have to get involved. You have to voice your opinion and not just pray about your opinion. So I think as Christians, we need to get involved uh, in our politics, be a voice within the politics, and vo- vote from a moral perspective. And what's not on their morally correct, get involved and get it on the ballot in your local government in your state government and to the national government we have to be more vocal in what is getting put out to become law what is being put out to become uh, how we will govern ourselves in our country and our community so i think we have to get prayerfully be in, get involved and get on these ballots we don't what churches what are we doing to get specific things that are morally compassed on the ballots in our community for people to have the opportunity to vote and then encourage our brothers and sisters to get involved register to vote and to be a voice we need to get back to being the moral compass of our communities of our town, our city our states our federal government we have to take our place that the Lord told us to be a light in the darkness. We are supposed to be the light on the hill. Unfortunately, we have gotten under the bushel. So it's time for the church now to become the light. And, and that light is going to be through our involvement, our engagement. Uh, when people sit and they start to see what the Christian character is like, and they listen to you, and they believe in the, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they want to take a moral stand. That's how you change it. That's how you really get involved in the politics. That's how you change the politics, but you won't change it hiding under a bushel justified by saying separation of state and government, uh, state and religion. And all. that's not going to be the answer. Mm. And uh, so we, we have to take a place, a bold place, and just like every other person that every other ballot, every other law that got put on a, on a, On a table, on on the card, someone, some group petitioned enough people to sign a petition to get that on the on the um, vote, and then they have the votes, and we don't even get involved in anything but the president and all these small laws are getting passed, (laughs) and we say, how that? I don't. When did they? When did that come along? You're not paying attention. Yeah. And so I think the church is not taking advantage of the voice that they have. I mean, think about it. You take all these churches that have the same faith, believe in morality. Why aren't we not putting anything on the ballot? How many times have you seen a church have anything that they wanted to become law put on the ballot?
0: I've never seen it. I've never seen it. But then we
1: complain about what the laws are. Well, there's a path. There is a legal path given to every American citizen. If you and I wanted something on a ballot, what we have to go do is get the number of signatures for that to be on the ballot, and it would be right there on the ballot. Yeah. And so I think the church has been so dis- trying to dis- it has distance itself from the politics, so we've allowed the positive to determine what the morality of our nation should be. And that's yeah. the problem.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, I love those final thoughts. Uh, I think that's very helpful. One thing I will say to close this out is, I think mm-hmm. from a, a unifying message perspective for the church, um, whatever de- uh, denomination you are, or whatever, um, I think the most important thing that seems to be missing is conversation and discussion, um, and and. and yeah. it, it may not be missing in, internally into one particular church, but I think between churches, I'm I'm not seeing a lot of conversation and discussion like what we're doing today. Now, obviously, you know, we're not necessarily talking about anything contentious between you and I, but right. there, to me, there should be more of these kinds of conversations uh, happening um, amongst each other. To discuss these things because i think what's happening is you know we're getting upset with with each other about again well how did you vote what well, do you vote for who how can you vote for that person right um and we get we kind of get wrapped up into the the branding and the marketing of the political game and we kind of lose sight of just being able to listen to well why do you right. the way that you think right uh, and why is this so important to you. Like, I know a lot of Black people, um, speaking of some of the racial issues that you were talking about earlier, that haven't really had a lot of negative experience with racism. So to them, um, that's not really a big deal for them, right? But Mm -hmm. then I I know a lot of Black people that have, so their perspective is a little bit different. Um, and, and And that's across the board from all of these issues mm. you, on your life experiences and, you know, how you were raised and who you were, t- who you talk to, obviously with right. word that's consistent. We should all be reading the same thing and then we can interpret different things differently depending on what we're reading. But I think at the end of the day, we need to have more conversation. And I hope that this podcast and others like it will start to give a light to that fact. Instead of let's let's stop arguing on Facebook about who you voted. Right. Let's like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to have a phone call and just say, can I just understand like, why is it that you think the way that you do just so I can, you know, get your perspective and, and maybe you'll say something that will spark something in me to realize like, Hmm, I probably wasn't looking at that the right way. I mean, even Peter and Paul argued, right? Of (laughs) course. And, so
1: well you know sunday top. is the most segregated day you know sunday is the most segregated day of the week in america uh, what do you and, mean and, well uh we typically work at at work we go to etna and you see all races all three on sunday we go to our own churches and we normally don't see each other so sunday we are segregated there's you know, we you, you you go to the black church, you go to the white church, and then there are all those churches that have a little more integration than other. But primarily, Sunday is the most in, most segregated day of the week. We are separate. We go on Saturdays. We go shopping at the same place. We go, but on Sunday we go to our church and we're probably home for our dinner. It's a very segregated day. Then you say, okay, we should have more dialogue, and I one thousand percent agree with you. Uh, there's this word called denomination which means, uh, separation, denomination, division. So it's, uh, just by churches saying they are this denomination, that denomination that divides us. That's why yeah. our church is not a denomination. We're Christians. Yeah. I don't, we don't complain, claim anything but Christian. And that way you have to take me at face value. But if you, if I say apostolic, Pentecostal this or another, you form an opinion about me right now just right. because I told you I was Baptist. I told you I was, uh, this or that or the other. Uh, so, our churches, and this is why the Bible, and I like what you said, we don't have the dialogue. And the Bible tells us, uh, you know, come together, let us reason. Then it says, and all you're getting, get understanding, not get an understanding, but get understanding. Like you said, I want to understand, maybe there's something you got that I didn't see. I didn't see it from that. We need to learn to get understanding. But we can't even agree on how to baptize. Yeah, but <laughs> We fight about that. And then, and then you want me to take it to another level of politi- political value, political review. So the churches need to once again, to your point, I love the position: is we need to have dialogue. And whether I agree or not, the Bible says let's get understanding. And so uh, the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? It didn't say you had to agree with me. We can still be friends and brothers and and, and, and be disagreed, but we have to be disagreeable. But the Bible said, "But we can be in an agreement to disagree." Yeah, and yeah. And, I, and that would be a beautiful thing to have a platform where we come and we talk through these different. Because I would have a lot of questions for my uh, white evangelical brothers, evangelical brothers. The first thing I would say is, "Why does it have to be white evangelical?" Mm-hmm. Just that by itself, putting a color in front of it indicates a separation. That you want.
0: Yeah.
1: Versus yeah. black churches. <laughs> you see? Yeah, there's a it, lot it, there. It, it, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a yeah. lot there. Yeah.
0: All right. Um, well, I think this was a great conversation and you know, it doing exactly what we were just talking about, you know, having, mm. having dialogue and discussion. And again, this wasn't something contentious yeah. for us. Um, but, you know, I think just getting different perspectives and ideas out there about this particular topic is a great thing. And, and hopefully for those who are listening, you know, you're kind of sitting back and maybe you haven't changed your mind on a particular thing, but it makes you think like, "Hmm, maybe I should rethink that and I should get back into prayer. So hopefully that that's what it's encouraging you to do. Uh, Pastor Howard Daniel, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I would love to have you back on because I'm definitely going to be, you know, Absolutely. discussing other topics, and uh, I would I would love to have you back on to 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 get your opinion on some of those as well. So I really appreciate it.
1: It would be an honor, and I would look forward to it. And I just want to say, Michael, thank you for inviting me and allowing me to be a part of it. And I I, I pray much success for your podcast, and that. It just touches hearts and uh, reaches out to the millions and uh, become an effective tool in the in the Lord's
0: hands for you and and for the Lord. That's my prayer. Amen. I received that. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Great conversation with Pastor Howard Daniel. And and one of the things that I want to point out and that you may have noticed if you've listened to all of my conversations for this series thus far is that everyone has a slightly different perspective, and that's okay. Um, how we bring these different perspectives together—we talk, we fellowship, um, and you know, teach each other, learn from each other—that is what is important and, um, within these difficult, complex issues that the church faces. Um, and I will talk more about that in other episodes. Um, but it's it's just so critical that we come together. And and not be divided next or the final episode for the series will be my summary episode to just summarize everything that I've heard um, from my conversations. And I'll be able to share my thoughts of what I think and what I've learned. And, um, you know, some of my ideas around certain things maybe have changed a bit or just evolved a bit, just having these conversations. Um, So I'm excited to share those things with you in that final episode. I'm going to close this thing out in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all the things that you've done and doing, um, seen and unseen, Father God. We thank you for um, giving us this platform, um, and we pray that it it brings the, the church together. Uh, we pray that it encourages healthy conversation. Um, we pray for the guests and the guest families that have, that have been on this podcast, um, and we just pray that you... Continue to to heal and protect us um, from this virus, Father God, and from other things going on um, in our lives. Um, and we just pray that this continues. This platform continues to be a vehicle for positive, healthy um, messaging and conversation. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening.